Um, we're going to be bouncing around a little bit. Um, as you know, that sometimes in our church, one of our main ways that we teach um, is through a book of the Bible. In fact, uh, starting the new year, um, I, I forget which week in January we're actually starting. I think, the, I think the second week in January, we are beginning a new series where we're going to go through the book of Acts. And so all through 2022, we are going to be in the book of Acts. We'll take a couple of offshoots, like when Paul is talking about some of his missionary journeys and when they're, they're talking about those things, we'll kind of jump off to a little tangent and talk about some of the letters that Paul wrote during some of those times. Um, but it's all with this focus and this heart um, for missions. But for um, this morning, what we are doing is uh, continuing in our Advent series. And so we're going to be kind of bouncing around um, in Scripture as we have been talking about this extravagant king and his um, extravagant kingdom and then how we live in response to that. And this morning we'll be talking about worship. So um, let us pray together. Father, help us this morning to consider what does it look like to worship extravagantly? What does it look like to be consumed by who you are and what you have done and what you promise? To be filled up by those things so that it would, they would overflow in praise back to you. Help us to engage with our whole mind and heart and body and soul this morning in our worship of you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, so far, we have talked about an extravagant king and his extravagant kingdom. We um, talked about the God through the, the story of the prodigal son who, who welcomes back his rebellious creation and adopts us as sons and daughters, celebrating our return and holding nothing back in our inheritance. He is extravagant in his grace and in his blessings and his love. And then we talked about how we started a couple weeks ago about how do we live in response to that. So two weeks ago, we talked about extravagant giving and how in response to this extravagant king who provides for all of our needs and has endless riches that he has offered to us and that is our inheritance, that we are to respond by giving generously, knowing that in doing so, we are investing in a, a greater treasure and that we are worshiping a greater king and that we receive far more than we give. And then last week, Robbie talked about extravagant living. We do not consider our lives our own, but as Jesus has given up his life for us, so are we to do the same for one another. And so we joyfully give of our lives. We joyfully give of our time and our energy and our resources. We joyfully sacrifice our convenience and our comfort for the good of one another. And what we see is that our generous living is a response to our generous king. We do not create generosity on our own. We do not muster it on our own, but it's actually a response to God's greater generosity. And we know that if we, if we only see God as slightly generous, then our response will likewise be slight and minimal. And the same is true in our worship of God. There's a, it's a, this kind of idea that what we see as receiving, what we receive from God goes back and comes back to him in, in worship is actually the kind of the spiritual version of Newton's third law, which I know all of you know exactly what I'm talking about when I say Newton's third law, right? Okay, you've got a helicopter pilot. That's about it. All right. 
pretty good for a helicopter pilot to know Newton's third law, I would recommend. Um, Because Newton's third law, most of us wouldn't know it by that name, but when I say it, you'll probably recognize it, which is for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. Right? He started to say it. Like so many of you, so you know, okay, yeah, for every action, uh, there's an equal and opposite reaction. And I find that to be very much the case in our worship. That the greater God's generosity toward us, the greater our response of generosity. So that's why if we see God as only being kind of slightly generous with us, if we only see him kind of giving us just like a little something here and there, then our response in worship will be likewise minimal and, and, and small. And so in our worship, we find that the extent of our understanding of God's extravagance towards us will determine the intensity and the extravagance of our worship back to him. And that when we have a worship problem, what we actually have is a perspective issue that we do not understand who God is and what he has done and what he has promised us. That we may believe it in in our intellect, in our minds, and we may give voice to it with our words, but it's not seeping down deep into our hearts and into our souls. A waterfall of blessing will produce a giant splash of praise. A big bucket of cold water dumped on your face while you're asleep will produce a different response than just a mist. And those of you as siblings might know that. Our view of God will produce our response. And so I want to talk about that. I want to talk about briefly just our view of God. And then what does our response look like that? Look like. So God, this, this view of God, who I view God to be, who, who is he, what has he done, and what has he promised? So who is he? Who is this God? There's always been much confusion over who Jesus is. Is he a great leader? Is he a good teacher? Is he a moral example? Is he just a cultural icon? But what you believe about who he is will determine your response to him. Think about it. When you think about our society and our culture, a moral teacher is worthy of some of our time and attention. People that we see as, as good examples and good moral examples, we, it's worth our time to watch them and to consider some of what they do. That, that's, a, that's an appropriate response to that. A great example is worthy of our consider, consideration. A, a, a cultural icon is worthy of kind of gathering around and planning some events around. We see that more during Christmas than any other time. That, that our culture, which largely does not serve Jesus as king, has no issue in celebrating Christmas. It's celebrating the incarnation where God becomes flesh. But your belief of what that actually means, who he actually is, will determine your response in that. Only the king of the universe who gave us life is worthy of our whole lives. Only the creator of all things is worthy of song after song singing his praises. Like if you believe he is king, you'll worship him in a way that is befitting of a king. Very familiar with with Matthew 2. Talking about the wise men, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. 
Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, and frankincense, and myrrh. Can we just be really honest that those are terrible gifts for a baby? Right? I mean, like someone wants to look at him and be like, I don't think you know kids. These are not good gifts for a kid. But they are absolutely fitting for a king. Their perspective, they knew when they're looking at this baby, they were not looking at a baby. If they looked and they're like, oh, it's, guys, it's actually a baby. They'd be like shoving the frankincense and myrrh back in their pack. Be like, oh yeah, it's on the way. Like we ordered it on Amazon. It'll be here after Christmas, right after. And they'd probably scramble for that. But they looked at him and they said, he's a king. So gold and frankincense and myrrh. These are gifts that are fitting for a king. Think about it. There's lots of people that we admire the way that our culture tends to admire Jesus. But we don't sing song after song after song about them. We don't don't have uh, centuries and millennia of people writing and singing and worshiping those people. It only makes sense if you believe him to be who he says he is. But not just who he says he is, but what he has done. You think about that. What has God done for you, really? I know what we say he has done, but what do we really believe he has done? I mean, there's so many people who talk about God in such a generic way and say, no, 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 I believe in God because, you know, this one time when I was 10, this thing happened and I I believed he was real and he helped me in this situation. Or I know, I believe there's a God, I'm thankful to him because I I love my life and and so I've seen many blessings and so I'm, I'm grateful to him. But if those are the limits of our view of him, that would explain why our praise is sometimes so minimal. If you believe that God has just given you a helping hand, then he's worthy of, of a head nod. He's worthy of just kind of a, you know, a, a call out, a shout out. So you see this a lot, like in a credit in, in, in a post-game interview with the, the winning quarterback who is you know, more about like his teammates and his coaches and their hard work and everything, but the, often gives a head nod to God. Be like, yeah, yeah, but without God, none of this would have been possible. And many of us go through our lives doing that virtual thing. Now, of course, we don't have, most of us don't have press conferences where we can say that to you, but we give kind of that praise. Like, oh yeah, no, I, of course, all credit to God. A pause of thanks during special holidays or a special moment. If you believe that he is just one who kind of helps you out in in certain situations, then that will be the extent of our praise. That response will be there. If you believe that he's a a just ruler or a a wise God, then then he might even be worthy of, of considering and obeying his laws and his principles. But if you believe that he brought you back from the dead, then your response will be extravagant. Like if you believe that God has given you every breath, then every breath will return to him in praise. You think about movies, some of our favorite movies during Christmas time. Um, uh, like actually, I find it very divisive. Uh, how many of you are It's a Wonderful Life fans? Okay. Oh, only a few. Okay, all right. How many of you are anti It's a Wonderful Life people? 
Like, oh yeah, only like one admits it. You're so brave and honest. Some of you are not. So you're like, you can't, you can't say it, right? You can't say like when it turns on, you can't be like, oh, this movie, seriously. And like, you just can't do it. And, and, but there's something to that. It's a wonderful life, a Christmas carol. Like all these movies that we love around Christmas time are stories of second chances and redemption and, and miracles. And what they always build towards is the response afterwards, after the person gets like, especially in like It's a Wonderful Life and a Christmas Carol and movies like that, they get this second chance and they, they get to see for a second what reality kind of looks like, what things could have been like. And they see how, you know, how they've been cared for and, and, and the blessings that they have. And then their response afterwards is always this huge extravagant response, right? Because they see like all that they have to be thankful for. And so they go out and Scrooge like buys all the turkeys and does all the things. And, and, and I don't even know what they do in It's a Wonderful Life because I've never watched it actually. So, um, <laughs> but I've also not seen Die Hard, which I guess is the best Christmas movie ever. So like I'm, I'm terrible at Christmas movies. Quiz me on Hallmark Christmas movies and I got you. But the rest of them, the real ones, I don't know. And so, but here's the thing. Like imagine in those responses, imagine if Scrooge, like yeah, all this stuff happens and he gets a second chance and he wakes up and he realizes that he's not dead, that he's not burning an eternal fire, that he has this chance. He has a second chance and he opens up the window and he's like, oh, well, good. Okay. And then he goes back to work. We'd all look at that and go, well, what a, ridiculous response. The reason why we want to see that extravagant response is because we see and we feel the weight of what he truly has to be thankful for. And if you believe, I mean, what would it look like if you and I believed every second that we lived with Christ is that post-epiphany moment, is the moment where we are very much aware that our life without Christ is doomed to an eternity separated from him. That every breath that we have is because of him. That every gift and every blessing is because of him. That it's all just a taste of what is going to come. I think our response would be extravagant because it's thinking about what is to come. What has he promised? Like, look, if, if God has only offered you just a, a little bit better life right now, just a slightly better version of yourself. Of what Christianity offers is this idea that, you know what, I'm, I'm pretty much nailing it. Like, I'm pretty good. I've got a pretty good life going, a pretty good thing going. But I think I just need a little bit more. Maybe I need a little help in teaching um, some morals to my kids. I need a little bit of help, like just having some, some good relationships, some positive influences. I need a little bit of help and just a little more discipline, a little more spirituality. If that's the case, if that's what God promises us, then our response will be likewise. I mean, self-help kind of stuff, like personal coaching, like, hey, that's, that's worth a 15-minute quiet time in the morning, right? It's worth devoting yourself to getting up a little bit earlier in the morning, putting some practices, um, in, some habits, um, forming some habits, putting some things into practice. It's worthy of some of our excess money and time. Like, I want to be more generous. I want to be more thankful. So I'm going to be a little bit more generous. Like, it's, it's worthy of all of those things. That's not extravagant worship. Extravagant worship comes when we realize, as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. 
this future with hope, this inheritance. And we realize that our response to him is an equal and opposite reaction to how we perceive what he has given to us. And so big treasure in in heaven will lead to big generosity with our money here. Unending time and eternity that he has promised us will lead to extravagant giving an offering up of our time and comfort here. Countless blessings that he has given and promised to continue for us for all eternity will lead to endless praise. It's extravagant if we know who he is and what he has done and what he promises. And so that's what our response should be. So if we see that that is who God is and what he has done and what he has promised us, then our response will be indicative of that. Our response will demonstrate that. And we will praise God in all environments, in all circumstances, and in all ways. What do I mean by that? If we worship God in every environment, if we believe that God is who he says he is, he's done what he has done, and he's promised to do what he has promised to do, then then in every environment, we would be worshiping him. Not just at church. And we could talk about all kinds of different environments. Church and, you know, nature, creation, home, family, community things. But one thing I, I want to just focus on right now is, is work. Because I don't think anything compares to the struggle of worshiping God in work. And I don't just mean like a job. I mean like whatever your work is that God has given you to do. So whether you are a factory worker or a teacher or a student or a doctor or a stay-at-home mom, praising God in the midst of our work seems to have the most obstacles. And I think the biggest obstacle for us, or one of the big obstacles for us, is it just feels weird. It feels out of place. Like, it makes sense that we worship God here, right? Like, it makes sense, like, raising our hands and singing and praying together and thinking about God and thinking about who he is and and all these incredible things about him. It definitely makes sense here at church. No one would think that is weird. And it's culturally normal to do that out in creation. So you could be standing with with a bunch of uh, friends who are not Christians. You could be standing at the foot of the Grand Canyon, and if you just let out kind of a, oh, praise God. Like, God's creation is so beautiful. Like, no one would look at you really weird and be like, "What, what does God have to do with this? Like, culturally, in our culture, that kind of makes sense. And at family, in our home, we know, and even though we may struggle day to day, and those of you with kids know sometimes what a struggle that is. Like, what does it look like to worship God in our home with our family and leading devotions and and that kind of thing? And, And it's a struggle, but we know we should. Like, nobody in the church looks at that and says, well, that's weird. Why are you reading the Bible together? We know that that's, that's a normal thing. But, but what about work? Do you praise God in your job? Do you work as though you've been given a gift? Whether you're stocking shelves or seeing a patient or changing a diaper or studying for a test, do you see it? Do you talk of his great works to your coworkers and your classmates? Or does it seem weird to praise him there? Does it seem out of place? 
And I think the reason it feels weird is because deep down we don't believe that he actually reigns there. No one would bat an eye at praising God here at church because we know, like, oh, God reigns here. Like, of course, he's the centerpiece. But do we know that he reigns in our workplaces? If we don't, then it seems weird. Think about, like, um, many of you have probably gone to a holiday concert sometime in the last couple of weeks, right, at a school. And um, sometimes they are, one, wait, most of the kids are out there. They're kind of painful sometimes, right? Um, <laughs> But amazing kids that are in them, like super amazing, and we love them. So, um, right, so usually the director will get up there and, you know, talk about how hard the kids have worked and how hard little Johnny and Susie, you know, have, have put in all this work. And you're looking at a five-year-old going, no, nah, no, nah, come on, they haven't. Like as they're like pushing each other, doing whatever. But they, they usually get up and they say a little few words about that. And that makes sense, right? We're like, hey, just, you know, we want to give them encouragement. Look at how well they've done. Look at how much work they've done. And really what they're doing is they're praising them, right? Like that makes sense. But imagine if the, the choir director gets up there and says, you know, I just want to say something. You know, I think we need to give Aaron Rodgers a break. You know, he's really, you know, I think we need to give him some credit. He worked really hard this year, and there's all this talk in the press. But, you know, he's having a great season, and he still dominates the Bears, and so that's awesome. Right? And everyone was giving him a hard time, but let's face it, like we wouldn't be in contention without him. So let's just give him some props, right? This would be the response. Be super weird, right? Like really weird. Like why are you talking about Aaron Rodgers? We're at a concert. But as the director got up there maybe and took the opportunity to recognize a retiring music teacher from the school district who invested in the lives of the kids, you'd say, oh, that makes sense. It's fitting. Well, what's the difference? It's weird to give praise to someone in the wrong context. It is good and right to give praise to someone in the appropriate context. So let me ask you, in what context does Jesus not reign? In what context is worship of God inappropriate? Extravagant worship means in part that we worship God everywhere. As for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It all belongs to him. When Paul's talking about this, he's talking about eating or drinking. But what he's saying is like everything belongs to the Lord. So that's why he says whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And so that means in the context of your work. It means while you're doing the things that you're supposed to do, whether you're fighting a fire or studying for a test or cleaning a room, you're thinking like, who is God? What has he done? What has he promised? Does, does he reign here? Does he reign over this place right now where I am? Has he placed me there? Has he promised to work God through me being here? Paul also says in Colossians 3, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Do you believe that when you go about your work? Do you believe that? The extent to which I believe that will dictate the response of my worship, to see my actual work as an act of worship, an act of faith, and part of that, like when you think about what does that mean, we don't have time to go into a lot of the details of it, but part of it does mean to just do your job well. 
right? To serve your clients, your students, your, your patients, your managers, your bosses, your toddlers, who are a lot like bosses, little tiny bosses. But it means more than that, right? It means more than just doing your job well. It means acknowledging that you are there for the Lord, not just for your employer. So it means living and being a disciple in all environments. And I know there's a lot of fear there. I hear people all the time saying things like, well, I can't do that at work. I get in trouble. I had a friend um, back in Colorado who was manager of a large retail store. And he was, um, he was the first person that came to Christ in our little church, and he was just on fire. One of the first things he said to me as he was sharing the gospel in his neighborhood and, and among his friends and his family and all that, he said, like, well, I can't, I can't do that at work. That's, you know, we have policies against that kind of thing. And that all led is, is God just kind of kept working on him and working on him. And as he grew in his understanding of what does it mean to worship the Lord? What does it mean that God reigns over everything? And he did, he grew, he was, he was an incredible, he was incredible at his job. Everybody, you know, people loved him and, and he did well. And I remember when he called me one day and he said, I just had a staff review. I, I think I might be in trouble. I just had a staff review with somebody and as they were talking about their struggles and they, you know, they weren't showing up to work on time, they weren't, and I started digging, I just started asking questions. Before I know it, I'm just like trying to minister to him. And so I'm just asking some of these questions of him and he's talking about his life and talking about how he feels aimless and, and wandering and he just, he just doesn't know what he's doing with his life. My friend looks at his sheet of all the, you know, the review questions and everything and he just looks up and he says, hey, do you know Jesus? You need to know him. He has the answers that you're looking for. He starts sharing the gospel with him. Of course, the employee is completely shocked and stunned. This is totally inappropriate. But he listens. And what my friend did was he did it with all love and gentleness and respect. And was just saying, hey, look, I just, I just want you to know I care about you and all these other things. We can do this other stuff and help you get better at these things, but this is, this is what you need. And he was a little freaked out that maybe, maybe this would get him, but it didn't. Partly because he was just really good at his job and he was valuable in his job, and so nobody batted an eye at it. But he started to loosen up a little bit in his fear of those things and believe more fully that God reigns here. He's placed me here for a purpose. And the Holy Spirit will tell me when to say that. Now that's not, he didn't go through all of his staff reviews like that and like have, okay, and the last part of your staff review is the presentation of the gospel. Like he didn't do that. That wasn't the thing. He was responding to what the Holy Spirit was telling him to do in that moment. What does that look like for you in your work? Like, it doesn't mean, if you're a, a, a firefighter, it doesn't mean that, like, as you're running into the building, burning building, you stop, and you, you stop fighting the fire, and you say, hey, I just want to take a minute here to tell you about Jesus. Like, it doesn't mean that. It means, like, go in and fight the fire, but then maybe when you come back out, offering a prayer for the people who are hurting, saying, hey, can I, can I pray with you? It's declaring that I know that there is one who is sovereign over this situation. 
You know, it doesn't mean for a teacher saying like, well, who cares if I teach kids algebra? They don't need to know algebra in heaven because they don't. But it means, it means teaching to the best of your ability in those situations, serving the students, teaching them well as unto the Lord. But then I think it also means acknowledging God as the ruler over all things, that he's placed you there for a reason with those kids. So when a student is sick, pray for them. When the opportunity arises, Invite a family to church. Tell them about the healing offered in the gospel. You give thanks at the end of a hard day that God has placed you where he has and that you get to be a light shining in the midst of darkness. I don't claim that these things are easy to figure out. But kind of like what Robbie said last week about extravagant living, we can look in Acts and we can say like, okay, well, they gave everything they had. They had it all in common. And, and so like, well, I don't think we can do that. Instead of spending all of our time trying to defend and think about what it can't look like, maybe we just need to acknowledge it looks like something. And that something should be extravagant. That something should say something about who we believe God is and what he has done. And what he has promised to those who love him. Seeing every opportunity as an, as an opportunity to worship our God and King. I'll just say this, by the way. We have people who work in just about every field you can imagine. And so if you're sitting there saying, well, I, don't, I don't know how that works in this context. I don't know how that works as a student in my high school. Or as a small business owner. Or as an executive of a larger company. Or as a factory worker or as a teacher, whatever that case is, let us know. I would love to connect you with other people who are also in a similar field who are trying to figure that out because we have some great examples of that. So we worship God in all environments. We worship him in all circumstances. Our response would be in all circumstances. That means praising God in even the hard times. I, I preached a whole sermon on this before, but these are three verses that every Christian should commit to memory and to the heart. Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Look, Christmas is less than a week away. And some of you in this room will sit there on Christmas morning and this command right here will be an easy one and the the hardest thing about this command for you on that morning will be just to remember to do it to not get distracted by all the things but you'll be surrounded on that morning by laughter and food and family in that moment if you turn your attention to god and you say okay i'm supposed to rejoice always it will be a pretty easy command to obey. But for others of you, it will be an extremely difficult command to obey. On Christmas Day, you might be alone, or you might feel alone, or you might be grieving. It may be a reminder of of what you have lost or what used to be or what could have been, or what should have been. And God is not unaware of that. Paul did not write this unaware of the suffering in the world. 
unless you think he's giving these instructions while things are going great. Remember that while he was in prison, he wrote things like this to the Philippians. He said, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. So evidently, Paul was known for telling people, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice. And then a chapter later, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It means on those mornings or in those circumstances, when it is painful, we are acknowledging God, you are God. You reign over this. You have placed me here in the midst of this. And you have promised to bring me through this. And that we rejoice. You think of Job. He says, in his hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. It's all from God and for God. Job, in the midst of his suffering, declared that God rules over all of it. That it's from God's hand that these things have come and it's through God that he will be delivered. And so as you sit there in those hard circumstances, it's good and right to grieve over the brokenness and the loss. But rejoice that you have a God who makes all things right and that your story is not over. Like tell God, with all prayers and supplications, like make your requests known to God. Tell God of your pain. Tell him what your heart desires. Let it all hang out for him. But pray that God would give you eyes to see the glories of what he's doing around you. Pray that he would give you eyes to see others who might feel the same way. And that he would give you strength to reach out to them. To realize that he has prepared you for this and placed you there. Give thanks for how he has worked through these circumstances and that he is with you. It's been so encouraging for me to hear from people. I'm hearing story after story. Every week it seems like we're getting, I'm getting more phone calls. And they start out just like one every once in a while and then one, like one every couple of weeks and then one a week and now a couple of week. And they just keep increasing of people calling and saying, hey, I just need some help to figure out like how do I worship God in this circumstance? I want to share the gospel with my neighbor, with my coworker, with my friend, with my family member. I'm given this opportunity or I want to glorify God in my job. My job is really, has been really difficult, but I know I want to worship him. I want to glorify him. Like, can you help me figure this out? And my answer is always, yes, love it. We would have a, just an army of people who are out there just worshiping God in every circumstance, in every environment. That's what declares his glory. That's what it means to be a city on a hill, a light that is meant to shine everywhere. Our worship of God, our effusive praise of him is light and it shines brightest in the darkest of times. It is beautiful. And I see it here every Sunday. Many of your stories, I know, like other people may not know around you what it took to trust God to come here and to worship God in the midst of what's going on in your life. But it is beautiful. It is extravagant. And so we are to worship God in all of the ways. And I just want to end with that. 
We worship God in all environments, in all contexts, and then with our whole self, our mind, our heart, our hands. Paul says in Romans 12, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. It's this interesting phrase, if your bodies are a living sacrifice. That's your spiritual worship. It's this interesting contrast there, right? Like present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And then he says that's your, your spiritual worship. We are actually physical people, right? We will always be physical people. And it makes sense because our Jesus is physical. The incarnation is unlike anything anybody has ever made up in all of the world. Jesus is physical. And so in Christmas, we represent, we remember that he came to earth and he walked and he felt pain, physical and emotional. And he laughed and he cried and he got angry and he got sad. All of the things that it means to be human, God created for us to worship him with. So yeah, it means with our physical bodies. It means partly taking care of our physical body. It means exercising as an act of of worship to God. Not as an act of self-worship out of vanity, but just out of taking care of what God has given us to the extent that we can. But it also means here. It means out in the world, but it means here with our physical bodies. It's more, uh, worship of God with our bodies is more than just singing with our voices or raising our hands or bowing our heads, but it's not less than that. It is an opportunity for us to do that, to engage our whole bodies in worship. And like we talked about a couple weeks ago, our bodies often dictate to our minds and our hearts like what we're doing. We talked about how sometimes when you don't feel very worshipful, all of a sudden you raise your hands, you close your eyes, you consider God, then all of a sudden your heart starts to stir and your mind and your heart start to come along for the ride. So we worship him with our actual bodies, but also with our minds. The way we think should be radically centered on God. Or do we need to ask ourselves that question? Do I think about God and all these things? Or is it only in the spiritual things that I think about God? So we just talked about a little bit of work. Like how do I think about my job? How do I think about my resources? How do I think about my time? How do I think about my hobbies? Like all of that is meant to be driven by a worshipful mindset to God. It's the renewing of our minds. It is setting our minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. So when you worship here, like just when you think about here in this context of this worship service, it means that you, you engage with the words you are singing. You just sing because of a melody, but actually think, well, what are the words that we are singing? That we engage with the prayers that are offered, the, the sermon that is preached. You engage and consider deeply the claims of Christ and how that affects you if you are his disciple. And extravagance in part means that you think everything has to do with God extravagance in worshiping God with our minds. We think everything has to do with God because everything has to do with God, right? Like I remember in, in high school when there was a particular P 
period of my life, I had all kinds of ups and downs in my following Jesus, but there was a period in high school where God had just grabbed a hold of me, and I wanted to tell everybody about Jesus, and I remember sharing the gospel with a, a good friend of mine. We had talked many, many, many times, and she said one time to me, she said, as we were actually driving, um, she said one time to me, she said, you know, you just make everything about Jesus. And I said, I think because of the Holy Spirit, because I was not sharp enough to come up with anything like that, but I said, well, I think it's because everything has to do with Jesus. And she looked out the window, she's like, like those trees, like those trees have something to do with Jesus? And I don't remember, I think I kind of partially blacked out. But if, if you know me now, there, there was a, like, imagine like high school version of Jay, and I went on a mini rant of a sermon, like just about like God's creation, and of course those trees have something to do with Jesus. Are you kidding me? Like they cry out to the glories of Jesus, and I just kept going, and she just looked at me like I was crazy. It was extravagant. And sometimes I think back on that, and I think, what would it take to recapture that wonder and that awe? And to truly believe that everything is about Jesus. Because everything was created through him and for him. So it means our whole bodies, our whole minds, and our whole heart. Jesus said, when they asked what the greatest commandment was, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. So when you sing, you sing with your whole heart, which will raise your voice. When you tell others of the glories of God, you do it with your whole heart, loving every word that's coming out of your mouth and worshiping God for the truth of the things that you are saying. When you give, you give cheerfully and joyfully with your whole heart. When you're volunteering, you're not just checking a box, but you're loving being there. When you go to work, you go to work with your whole heart. Say, God, I'm going to worship you with my whole heart. I'm going to offer this day to you as worship. When you serve others in the community, they get the idea that you actually love doing it because it's an act of worship. When we're gathering as a church body, it becomes the I can't wait part of your week. It's far more than how you function here, but it is not less than that. When we're worshiping here together, our whole heart should be engaged. These wonders of who is God and what has he done and what has he promised. Responding to that in all environments, in all circumstances, and in all ways. Let's give you one example from my life. One of my most treasured memories of worshiping God was the last time that I sat with my mom. Lauren and I went in, and I, I brought my guitar. My mom loved worship music. She loved it. And I thought, you know what? We should sing. But it felt really weird. It felt uncomfortable and awkward bringing my guitar into the, the home and into the nursing home, the facility, the care facility. And she's in hospice. And pulling out that guitar and singing and worshiping God with my wife and seeing my mom kind of mouth along with the words of some of her favorite worship songs. I can't imagine a, a stranger context than in that room, a stranger environment than in that room as people are kind of walking by and thinking, what's, what's going on in there? And certainly not impressed by the quality of music. 
but wondering, why here? Why in a hospice room? How does that work? And with our physical voices, lifting up praises to God. That's extravagant worship, and I know a lot of you have stories like that. A lot of you, as I'm looking around the room, have stories like that. And they are just as beautiful. So what does that look like to enter every environment? To enter your home today, worshiping God with your body, your mind, and your heart, acknowledging that he is ruler over all and that we exist for him. What does it look like to go to work or to school tomorrow with a mind set on things above, to rejoice always and to pray without ceasing and to give thanks in all circumstances? What does it look like to walk through your workplace and maybe pray for your coworkers? Or to give thanks at the lunch table? To worship God. And what does that look like here? And I have the worship team come up, and one of the reasons we do this and to have response times that we can respond to what God is doing. So what does it look like in this last response song to worship God with everything that we have? And then what does, it worship, what does it look like to worship God when the song is over and we pray and I give a benediction and a blessing and you go on? What does it look like to worship God through your interactions with people after the service, declaring God's goodness and giving thanks together? And what does it look like then as you're going home in the car ride home to worship God and see that God reigns even over this car and he reigns over our time here and these interactions and to give glory to him? What does that look like? don't know exactly what all that looks like. But I know it looks like something. And it's extravagant. Let's pray. Father God, we, we do love you and we worship you. And even as I stand here, I know, God, that our hearts, like we are, it just feels like we're constantly trying to revive our hearts and saying, like, don't you, don't you understand what's going on here? Don't you understand the glories that are here? God, would you please move in us? Would you help us, God, to see that you are the ruler over all things? It is in you we live and move and have our being. To respond of knowing that every day for us, every breath we breathe is a gift from you, an undeserved and joyful gift. Let us respond under the waterfall of your blessings and your mercies and your grace with extravagant praise.